Welcome back to the next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the podcast for all of you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On the podcast, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We're presented by IDEA, the Infill Development and Edmonton Association, which is a nonprofit education and advocacy group that brings together like-minded people working to shape our city. Today, our guest is Kristen Tolson, who is the Manager of Sustainability and Social Purpose at Centurion Canada Infrastructure. Kristen has a BSc from UBC and over 13 years of environmental experience, including roles as an environmental scientist and sustainable project manager. Kristen has worked with sustainable building certifications, sustainable operations and policy, and life cycle analysis for buildings, and she is now using those skills to lead environmental, social, and governance initiatives. This also will really help improve workplace diversity at Centurion. Kristen is the co-founder and the chair of the Carbon Leadership Forum, Alberta Hub, which we will be talking a bit about today. And she was also named one of Edmonton's top 40 under 40 recipients by Edify Magazine in 2021. Uh, I knew Kristen um, a little bit before she was a guest of this podcast and it's because we co-emceed at the SHIFT conference back in 2022. And uh, do you, do you want to know what that's about? I do, more than anything. So this is um, the YP Merge SHIFT conference and it is part of the Edmonton Construction Association. YP sounds for Young Professionals. The YP Merge SHIFT committee and the YBG leadership team they always have this shift conference every single year until the pandemic hit and we couldn't um, have a, we couldn't hold one during the pandemic. But in 2022, they, we finally was able to get together, got back into Hotel McDonald's and was able to um, talk a bit about some of the challenges that happened after we came out of the pandemic. So our theme was, um, there was always a theme Shift 2022 was forward with focus, and it was about tackling the challenges and opportunities that young professionals are facing as we navigate a changing business environment post-pandemic. And um, it's so great because we actually talked about the growth of ESG, which, you know, Kristen's really fluent in, the environmental, social, and governance in corporations right now, and um, a lot about what and how it's changing the way we do business. We had a really cool keynote speaker, uh, Nicole Verkind. She was named Canada's Women Entrepreneur of the Year by Startup Canada in 2017. And right now she is the CEO of Buggy.ca, Canada's rapid grocery delivery business and an active angel investor involved in dozens of Canada's early stage tech businesses. We also had some really great panelists on this uh, shift conference and includes Leslie Sin, um, we had Chris Delaba, who is a form, who also was on the podcast um, early on. We had Cynthia Dovell, who is part of Avid Architecture, and we had Scott Varga, part of Avis and Young, and Chris McLeod, also part of VP Global Marketing and Communications, Edmonton Global. All right, now let's talk to someone shaping our city. Our next guest today is Kristen Tolleson. Kristen works with Centurion and as the head of the Alberta chapter of the Carbon Leadership Forum, that forum is actually involved in leading builders to take a more proactive steps into being more environmentally conscious as to what we are putting in our built environment. Is it also any surprise that 
someone so detail-oriented also is a trivia buff. Kristen and her sister, Lauren, launched a trivia night at the Grindstone Theater back in 2018 and actually ran Hello Trivia all the way into the pandemic. Kristen also raises money for the Center for Family Literacy, which operates and supports the Center's Classroom on Wheels, which is a moving library bus program that will provide the foundation for lifelong learning. I also do have to uh, mention Kristen's achievements and awards. She was the class of 2021 Edify's top 40 under 40. Um, and she was, uh, she, is, she is actually the co-founder and chair of the Carbon Leadership Forum, this Alberta hub. And she was part of materials and resource group with the, with the Canadian Green Building Council. Man, I'm uh, getting all green reading this, Kristen. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, I think uh, we we were emceeing together um, at the Shift Conference uh, just last year. Did you have fun doing that? That was great. It was so nice. I think it was one of the first events uh, in person again. So that was so nice to see everybody. Yeah, were, were you nervous speaking in front of a whole bunch of people just out, just right after the pandemic, because I was, I was really nervous. <laughs> I was a little bit, yeah, definitely every time, yeah, yeah. Um, so, do you still do trivia night at the Grindstone, or is it not happening anymore? It's not. It's so sad. My co-host, my sister, moved away, so I lost a co-host, and we did start it together. It didn't feel right without her, so. I still see things often and I think about how it could be a trivia question. So that's still on my brain, but uh, no, it's been unfortunately uh, indefinitely postponed. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you still, uh, you know, on your spare time research things about, uh, you know, random, I guess trivia is about random information, random miscellaneous information. Do you still research? Oh, yeah. My Google search bar is, is always interesting, but uh, yeah, you can't stop. I, I, I like learning, so want to or you know things you don't understand that's of course think very thankful for google yeah for sure we, we all love to thank google for that <laughs> let's talk a little bit about your uh, your path to sustainability um you know tell me a little bit about how you got into uh sustainability and specifically in building sure i am from bc i started going to school at uh ubc i was into chemistry and uh marine pollution and took a lot of uh, biology courses, things like that. Knew I did not want to be working in a laboratory, though. That I definitely knew that wasn't for me. And I heard about an environmental spill at one of the my favorite lakes in BC, Kalmalka Lake. And I remember my wheels started turning my brain about how they were actually going to be able to fix that or how would they know that it had been fixed enough or how, you know, just any type of remediation information. So that kind of started me on my path to being an environmental scientist. So I moved out to Alberta in 2012 and uh, started being an environmental science scientist, did that for three years. And then after that, I transferred into sustainable buildings. So right into the construction industry. So that was a huge learning curve. And yeah, I learned a lot and stayed there for about eight years. And then uh, I'm about a year and a half into a new transition where now I'm with a company working specifically and solely on their carbon neutral goals. So working with an infrastructure company, um, they're 
huge fleet. So things like that and emissions tracking and um, lots of uh, social metrics as well with ESG, environmental social governance work. So yeah, and helping with uh, their program. Cool. I, I actually want to ask about um, that that steep learning curve getting into the building industry from simply looking at dirt. Yes. Um, what, can you just elaborate on some of the challenges? Um, like what, what, what do you still find difficult maybe? Oh, sure. Just just the terminology around things. You know, when I remember one was pouring concrete, I didn't understand that that's, you know, the stage of construction and the timeline, even just learning that, to be honest, you know, bidding and all the way through to um, to commissioning. So I think even just learning those terms of the schedule was was important, uh, not to mention, of course, all yeah, the construction wording uh, along the way. But yeah, those are, I remember, impor- important milestones to learn. Yeah, needing to sound like you know what you're talking about is, is kind of important. And I understand the the building industry uses probably a lot of terminology that's weird, but so does the industry that you're in, the sustainability industry. Is that right? So many acronyms, acronym filled. Yes. ESG, CSR. Yeah, many, many options. Yeah, but now your work focuses on embodied carbon. Is that right? Through the Carbon Leadership Forum, yes. So um, that their goal, we have a mission. It is to empower industry professionals to radically reduce embodied carbon from buildings. So that is our mission. So we do that uh, mostly through educational webinars and event planning. So our, our goal is to make sure that information gets to the people in local industry. We want to build that capacity for knowledge so that people can make decisions with carbon footprints in mind. Yeah. And what is embodied carbon? Maybe let's start there. Great question. So embodied carbon is all the uh, equivalent CO2 emissions that are associated with the materials that you use to create your building. So that's everything from the raw material extraction to the manufacture, the transport. Now it's arrived at your construction site and it's going to be installed. Um, so, yeah, there's quite a, a few emissions along the way, as you can imagine. So they've uh, equated that to uh, uh, um, an impact. And so we want to calculate that and hopefully look for opportunities to reduce. No kidding. So just, you know, what are some of the worst uh, materials that we're using here in Alberta that have the, the kind of the most embodied carbon? Oh, sure. Unfortunately, Alberta is, of course, at a bit of a disadvantage with uh, with embodied carbon. For example, uh, the just the grid in general, you can imagine uh, the electricity that a manufacturer uses is already a little bit uh, a little bit more carbon intensive. But uh, but there's lots of, you know, the concrete and the steel are usually the biggest uh, factors which means there's lots of opportunity for improvement at those ones. So I, I always tell people, look at, look at concrete and steel first, if you can. Interesting. You, you didn't say wood. We have wood kind of everywhere. Wouldn't it just be easier to build everything out of wood? Yeah, it would. But there's a lot of factors like availability and FSC certified and um, the transportation involved in that as well. So it's not always a simple, easy yes on that one. Interesting. Okay, so how how do we measure embodied carbon? You kind of you kind of give us a high level overview, but maybe just go into a little bit more detail there. Sure. The best way is a, a life cycle analysis. So, so the life cycle analysis takes into account all those stages that I mentioned earlier about you know the raw material extraction, the um, the transport, manufacture, all that, all, all those things. Um, so those impacts get measured and. Uh, get assigned a global warming potential 
And so that number gets um, added up for all your materials. So you, there's a thing called an environmental product declaration. So it'll say, you know, for one square meter of your product or one meter cubed of your product, what's the global warming potential of that? So if you add all those up, you will have a life cycle analysis of your building as opposed to just a product. And then um, so that analysis can help you figure out a, and it also helps you figure out where in the chain you can imagine, is it, is it just transportation? Is it the type of material? So you can split it by materials and by scope of um, scope of life. And then is the type of uh, transportation, does that play a factor too? Like if you're uh, boating something in from across the world or trucking something or airplaning something like, do those all have different kind of values that you would associate with uh, the, the transportation? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Train, train is better than truck and, and boat is better, but um, yeah, there's of course the distance again plays a factor, but uh, no, yeah, there's definitely uh, I've seen that the rail is a better way for Alberta, let's say. Interesting. Okay. And then uh, you mentioned life cycle. So you're looking at, um, you know, what happens to the materials after demolition, right? How is that kind of right? You can. So the life cycle stages, they've actually set it all very out, uh, sorry, all out very clearly. There's A, which is your, um, uh, sorry, your, your manufacturer and creation of the material, your B, which is the use of the material, and then C, which would be the end of life. And so that's a really good life cycle analysis if you can cover all those things. Then there's a, a D section where you can get into reuse and uh, reuse of materials. So hopefully beyond beyond the life of the building. The For example, if, we're, if you've seen any of the reuse or recycled materials, that would be starting to get into that category. Interesting. That So I, the question that I want to ask is related to like solar voltaics and batteries and stuff, which kind of help towards this carbon neutrality, but also we have no way of recycling them in the future yet. So do you take um, that into consideration as well? Like if there's no way currently to dispose of something or to reuse something, but there might be in the future, is that kind of a consideration or is it just kind of what we current technologies we currently have that go into this analysis? Yeah, it's what we currently have. And I would say that's why so many of the life cycle assessments end at that C stage that um, because of the unknown future. So yeah, that's that's to do a standard and, and planned out LCA right now. That's as, as far as you need to go in the green building rating systems and things that I've seen. Yeah. Is there a, a database that where you can actually take a look at, yeah, the life cycle of that, like of a material of concrete, of a specific um, or even a specific manufacturer, you know, doing a different type of, um, you know, trying to make a different type of steel, you know, and they track the life cycle of it. Is there a database out there for that, Kristen? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's called environmental product declarations. And I will say, but if you're interested in one specifically, a lot of the manufacturers will publish it already on their websites under their sustainability sections. So um, yeah, it's really, really great. That's where you can see and you can compare right away. And there's some that are very, they're plant specific. You know, I can get a ready mix concrete um, for a specific Edmonton plant and find the life cycle that, of that information. So that's definitely there for us to use. And um, I think the industry is pushing for more and more. So you'll see more and more manufacturers publishing this data. Of course, it has to be third party verified and things like that and to be given different weights. But um, but yeah, that information's out there. And, and absolutely, yeah, you can search and, and compare very easily. That's why it's great to have that unit, you know, one 
cubic meter of cement versus another, and you can see right away on the environmental product declaration or EPD sheets um, where your emissions are different. So companies are voluntarily doing this. Is that kind of what's uh, what's happening currently? Are, are there any kind of governments uh, worldwide or locally, nationally or whatever that are kind of forcing um, this kind of analysis on, on their building? I would say there's a degree of separation. Um, you know, of course, uh, people, some governments are requiring the life cycle analysis. So that to do a proper one, you, of course, need the environmental product declarations to understand where your or what your um, emissions of products are. But uh, so by a degree of separation, yes. So, for example, the city of Vancouver, they've got their rezoning policy where if you've rezoned to do an infill project, for example, you have to show a life cycle analysis. And they were just resetting that where right now it's just, I think it was just reporting. And I'm sorry, I should be up on this, but I believe they're now starting to ask for reductions. And same with Toronto. So that's definitely coming where some of the municipalities um, are definitely requiring a life cycle assessment. So I think that's what's pushing. It's um, I don't believe it's the government saying, you know, manufacturer, you should have this EPD. It's uh, it's coming from a from a different way. From the municipalities. That's interesting. Do you, do you see a, a time where Alberta municipalities would adopt these same, same kind of things? Yeah. Or are you starting to yeah, see Yeah, I know both municipalities are working on it and looking into it. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely on its way. I, I don't have a timeline or anything like that. We had we did have a city of Edmonton um, webinar about it last year. That was really great. We had a, a lot of um, attendance for that. Um, and yeah, lots of information and to deal with, as you can imagine, trying to understand the building buildings in our province comparatively. But uh, yeah, it's it's coming. Interesting. Um, now, how does this align with some of the green building rating systems that we've had, like LEED or whatever, have been around for a long time? Is this kind of the next step, or do they kind of uh, synergize a little bit, or how, what's the relationship like? Yeah, great question. They're definitely synergizing. When Lee did its update, it added a, a, an LCA life cycle analysis section. So you can get um, credits towards your building by doing one. So I would say there's definitely synergy there. Um, Living Futures has, has a program. Canada, through the Green Building Council, has its own zero carbon standard. They were actually the creators of that. So that's nice to see. Usually some of the raising systems are always coming through the states. So so that's been nice to see. That one is absolutely and only dedicated to carbon. So that's a, a great uh, a great resource as well. But, uh, yeah, I would say those are the most uh, carbon-based ones right now. Well, I got to ask about Passive House because I know Olivia is working towards her certification there. But how, does Passive House fall into that as well? Uh, as far as I know, that is uh, a lot of operational carbon, if I'm not mistaken. There's the uh, there's the requirement for the energy amount required to run the run the building or run the house to be a certain level. I I'm sorry, I don't know. I have to double check the embodied carbon requirements of Passive House. I, I think maybe uh, just to even talk a little bit more about these certifications, because there's the other one that in in building that there's also the well certification. Is is that something that's also again, part of uh, the green building rating systems, or is that maybe too much of a holistic approach and it's it doesn't make sense? The Canadian Green Building Council doesn't recognize it. Right, right. No, there's definitely synergies between well and lead and they publish crosswalks and things that they call that to help people um, do both. And, uh, uh, but well, I know is definitely more focused on the user. So embodied carbon is pri- usually prior to the user being there. 
Mm-hmm. And so they're focused on healthier materials and low PVC, like things like that, whereas embodied carbon would be construction and um, prior, basically. Gotcha, gotcha. It's like the, it's, there's several, there's so many different components to sustainability. It's it's uh, very fascinating. It's not just simply, um, you know, uh, straight. It's not just a linear line. So very, very interesting. No, lots of overlap and, and um and yeah, it, it, it's going to always overlap and, and people, especially with the well, and you can imagine even when you're talking about the solar panels, that's of course the operational carbon. And yeah, it's. Uh, well, uh, Kristen, tell me a little bit about what you're working on right now and uh, maybe your role at Centurion. Sure. Yeah. I started as their manager of sustainability and social purpose uh, in November, 2021. So just about a year and a half in. And uh, it's uh, definitely like it's construction-based business, so lots of fleet, lots of movement, uh, some materials. So we're getting into understanding the life cycle of that. That's my one of my next priorities. Um, but right now, it's been managing honestly fleet emissions and tracking our emissions. So everything from flights, water, waste. Um, electricity, natural gas. So I've been trying to gather all that information and create our, our carbon footprint, a, a more accurate carbon footprint. So we did have a third-party ESG software come online last year. So I definitely spent my time lear- learning that software and and um, figuring out our best ways to report to automatically feed to that. So that's been great. And yeah, I feel like we're kind of got our processes straight for that. And then now of course, you're looking at reduction along the way. So, you know, everything from hybrid trucks to um, we've instigated um, an innovation program where you're trying to get ideas from the employees that, you know, they're in the in the business every day and can see those opportunities. Um, we've done a lot of work with our social impacts, you know, working with Women Building Futures and uh, the Centurion, or sorry, uh, CCDI, uh, the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. Lots of work with them. So yeah, it's been it's been very busy. It's been lovely. Yes, a lot and very different perspectives and different bodies of organization involved as well too, which is really which is really great. Um, and then you know when you have your, I always find that um, you know when you're speaking with new clients or you know clients that are not familiar with sustainability or it's it's such a broad topic it's a very complex topic how do you usually start the conversation of sustainability with your clients I would say we are very lucky where they're starting the conversation. You know, we have a lot of tier one oil producers that are our clients and they are committed to net zero, the oil science net zero pathway for 2050, I believe. So we're starting to see it already come up a lot on proposals and bids. So that's one of the things I just uh, did recently was review that and make sure we can see um, how we can answer those questions better for our clients. And honestly, next, we'll be looking to make sure that as part of our estimates of work, we can have a carbon footprint estimate with that as well. So that's one of our, our more immediate goals, which is which is exciting to give that information up front. Similar to LCA, I've seen that where they, they highlight, you know, a green product having less carbon and, you know, can visually see a red product having, having more carbon impact. So we're excited for that um, to be part of the next step. A quick question. Um, some of this work, does this, I know the, uh, some emerging topics are about like carbon offsets. Is, is carbon offset included in um, some of your work? 
Not for us. I always say, I'm sure you'll hear this all the time, but always reduce first. So I'm sure you'll see in a lot of people's carbon neutral plans that you want to really understand your footprint and reduce first before you start looking into offsets. Um, and yeah, make sure, of course, you get verified offsets. Of, of course, there's been some um, some industry fluctuations around that. So I yeah, I say reduce first. Yeah, um, well, that, that, that does help uh, with... Um... That does help with the barrier of, you know, your clients coming in with the knowledge and the interest in sustainability. Um, so then maybe the next step is how does that, how does your projects around sustainability start getting set up? Like the, what's, what, what's the timeline and sort of the scale? I know these are large companies, but, you know, there, I feel like there'd be a lot of ambitious goals. Yes. Yes. We're looking to, um, Gosh, well, we, we've got to green up our fleet. So there's lots of things there with the electrification of a fleet. So we're piloting an electric car. We're pilot. We're testing out our hybrid trucks. And, you know, there's many things we're considering. Um, uh, the speed of the vehicles, like highway speed versus not speed. Some of the project sites, you drive slow. So then a hybrid truck works perfect. Some of them are highway drivers. So then you don't need the hybrid truck. So tons of considerations. So we're analyzing the fleet always that way. It's a it it's a hybrid truck that would be, um, it'd be maybe a hybrid truck that'd be in the in a site that would be yeah. green fat. Yeah. That's why I'm not sure if you guys want to keep truck because it's definitely this isn't like necessarily embodied carbon stuff. No, this is great. I like this. It's a tool. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a tool that because um, at the end of the day, you're probably using it to measure. Um, sorry, you're using it as a metric. You know, I guess how lean you're. Yeah. And I can keep going with the trucks and say we do things, you know, like anti-idling policies and sustainable travel policies as well. So those things are being implemented. We have a sustainability report that we need to publish every year. So that needs our, our footprint information. And um, and we do report to the G, it's called GRI, Global Reporting Initiative Standards. So we're, we're making sure to follow that and uh, and make sure we report on our footprint correctly. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. And then you have you have tools and quite high, I'm assuming very, very high AI technology tools that are integrated into the process. Uh, right now, it's a software. We would love to do more. We're looking into AI, like as I'm sure all companies are, when you can start, um, from what I understand, uh, it would help us forecast the future as opposed to just uh, collating our data of the past. So we're really looking forward to that if it can help understand some trends. So I would say dipping a toe, but but right now it would still just be a, a software entry that's helping us analyze our trends, which which honestly is a step in the right direction from even, you know, two years ago, we weren't able to separate out our office impacts and now we can and we can get down to the unit number of each vehicle and see see where our impacts really are. So that's that's been great. And it's a third-party tracking system right now, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We use the software. So there's there's lots of them out there. Some, I think it really up to size of company and number of users and all that good stuff. But uh, but yeah, that's been highly recommend that for anyone looking to measure measure the footprints. It's uh, it's been very helpful. Uh, so yeah. So a lot of the industries you're talking about that, uh, that that use some of the software and the tools, they seem mostly industrial. But there has to be some sort of tools or applications to um, like infill builders, for example. This is a, an infill podcast. So um, what what can you tell our listeners about some of the tools that they might be able to use? 
Absolutely. Uh, the Carbon Leadership Forum has uh, a, what's called an EC3 tool. That's a free tool that's available through their website. And so that's an embodied carbon in construction calculator. So definitely recommend checking that out. Uh, specifically for residential, there's uh, the Builders for Climate Action created a tool called the BEAM tool. And that one's free as well. So um, I've seen that um, used, like, for example, the Toronto Green Building Green Standard requires you to do that one. Or from the government of Alberta, there, or sorry, government of Canada, there's the uh, MCE2 materials estimation, sorry, material emissions estimator uh, tool as well. So yeah, there's definitely a few out there. Uh, Passive House Ribbon as well. And then uh, there's many LCA tools, one-click LCA, Tally. Um, again, those ones are paid and depends on users and number of buildings that you'd want to run through there. But uh, each has their own benefit. But definitely, I would say if you want to check out that the Beam tool or the uh, EC3, there's there's information to start with, especially for, for your concrete or steel or wood. Um, and I just want to shift gears a little bit now and actually talk a bit about the Alberta Carbon Leadership Forum. Um, I know you are the founder and the co-chair of it, and this is the Alberta chapter. It's very exciting to see this um, per- personally as someone in the industry to see this happening. Um, I've been wanting to attend um, the webinars. I-, I attend a couple of them, but I've been really wanting to attend some networking events that actually did it if they were to happen. So, But if you could tell, me a li- tell us a little bit about how old the forum is itself, and when did it start? Definitely. It uh, it started in December 2020. So a few months prior to that, March 2020, I was in LA and it was the Carbon Positive Conference. And that was fantastic. And met uh, Anthony Pack. So I highly recommend following him on LinkedIn. Uh, P-A-C, or sorry, P-A-K is his last name. So he uh, is out of Vancouver at Priopta. And wow, does he know a lot about life cycle assessment and buildings. And so met him and he was able to connect um, myself with uh, other Albertans. So he had he had heard from his BC chapter, people in Alberta were, were talking about carbon. So he asked if I wanted to be involved and I said, yes. So we started in December, 2020 and it's been lovely. So we, as you can imagine with the dates, we did a lot of online web- webinars and then we uh, launched into our first in-person event last year at BuildX. So that was great. We'll be back at BuildX again this year in Calgary. We look forward to that. We enjoy the panel discussions and, and the questions and interactions with the audience. So um, yeah, it's been a lot of a lot of online, but we're we're ready to branch out. Yeah, that's that's really exciting. What are what are some of the choices or maybe some topics that uh, you and Anthony may have talked about that are centered around Alberta building in Alberta specifically and also how to on that journey towards embodied carbon or maybe it's about education first. Yeah. So after uh, meeting Anthony and then hearing the talks at this conference, the numbers were just uh, staggering, to be honest, you know, 40 percent. Um, of global CO2 emissions are going to be from buildings. Uh, And then 49% of that is embodied carbon as opposed to the operational carbon. You you know, we've been so lucky that people have been uh, including energy requirements in building codes, but that embodied carbon piece hasn't been there. So to see those numbers and the amount of building that's going to be upcoming in the next, you know, even 50 years is it, it was staggering and honestly seemed like a huge opportunity and just wanted to connect people with that information. It's if we're going to be building, hopefully we can be building 
with low lower carbon impacts. So that was fantastic, and it was a great conference. And um, and yeah, connecting through uh, Anthony, we lucky to have a lot of disciplines in the CLF Alberta um, engineers, concrete. Uh, Gosh, I can't even think. Architects, policymakers. So we're really, it's it's been really great um, inputs from everybody, and uh, those are the ho- hopefully the people that would attend our events and get the most information and knowledge from them as well. Yes, um, and how how many people are right now in the um, Alberta Carbon Leadership Forum? I believe we have about five core volunteers. And then, um, of course, we have, you know, a um, few hundred followers on LinkedIn and on our mailing list, et cetera. So we should please sign up for our mailing list, clfalberta.com. Um, but yeah, we're always looking for more volunteers. We definitely need to open up into new industries. So if you're interested, please reach out. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then you can and, and you can just uh, sign up on the website, right, Kristen? It's not just simply a... It's not it. You don't have to go through anything, application forms or anything like that. No, no, no. The website is okay. um, is for the mailing list. That's fine. And if you, of course, wanted to reach out for for volunteers, um, uh, of course, tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll figure it out. But um, yeah, and I would say there's also the carbonleadershipforum.org website. And that's the place where there's an online community hub. So you can connect with other people in Alberta and case studies that are going on. And that's where they have a lot of free resources about everything from creating your own policies to um, the EC3 calculator information. Um, so yeah, quite quite a wealth of knowledge on there from people who have, you know, potentially started their carbon journey a bit earlier, and maybe we can learn something from that. I'd like to ask a few questions about kind of the future of both um, Centurion and then the ACLF as well. So where now that Centurion's kind of gaining some momentum, building some of these tools and softwares, where what's the future hold for, for the company? Where does it want to go? We are focusing more on our climate uh, I think initiatives. So understanding our climate risks and where things are going in future. In the future, I'm sure you guys have seen. We had the two hottest days on the globe in the last couple of days. So, um, so things like that are really becoming front and center. So we've, yeah, we've started our reporting, and now we're ready for reductions and assessments of risks. So I think that's our that's our next stage. And then is the goal to kind of get uh, the tools and softwares and, and, and all your research and everything kind of into the hands of every single company and every single government? Or is there kind of an end game to all of this? Or well, Our end game as a company would be carbon neutrality and, and same for uh, uh, Carbon Leadership Alberta. That would just be from a, a building perspective. Um, so yeah, any any chance we can get closer to that. Uh, operationally at Centurion, we want that and we just need to work be working towards those goals all the time and we are but um yeah and then the carbon leadership forum alberta we we want those buildings to have every opportunity to have the information and or product information or whatever they need to be able to calculate and and make the best decision for their building at the time uh and are there what what are the kind of the main challenges of that are there like major lobby groups that are fighting on the other side or um uh, kind of slow uptake or uh, building code related things or what, what kind of challenges are you seeing in, in implementing everything? Oh, absolutely. There's always challenges with change and, and, and new understandings. And, um, you know, I think it happened with everything with energy modeling, you know, why do we, why is this need to happen? What's happening? Why? And then, you know, it's just a, that next step in responsible building, I think. So um, yeah, just, just the standard <laughs> aversion to change, but uh but uh, yeah, I think slowly but surely people are seeing that it's the, the right way, especially 
I'll say this for embodied carbon, you know, when you have your operational carbon, you have the chance to change that in the future. You know, you could install solar, you could install install a more uh, energy efficient boiler or, or something like that. But embodied carbon, once once you build that, that's it. So there's no, this is an irrever- irreversible materials that have been installed so or created. So um, yeah, huge, huge opportunity to, to make some different decisions. And then what about the ACLF in terms of um, the future there? Are you hoping to grow to 10 volunteers or yearly conferences or what, what's kind of the future there? Uh, yeah, we have lots of plans. Uh, some of the other hubs, I've seen them doing embodied carbon awards, which is really great. That brings to light some more case studies or projects that are going on that are considering carbon. So we have things like that we can do. We, we want to grow and we want to get the carbon information out to as many people as possible. So, so we're ready to expand and, and, and need more volunteers. All right, Kristen, that I'm going to ask you some easier questions now. Actually, maybe these ones are harder. It's just, <laughs> okay. <laughs> there was this really interesting goal that we were talking about earlier that you wanted to do this summer. And that was to. I want to try all the breakfast sandwiches. I love breakfast sandwiches. Faro Grick makes my day. So, oh, that's the best one. I was just about to ask you where your favorite one currently is. It's got to be that one. So, yeah, no, but I have a, a bunch more I want to try. So, I've made a little mental list. I should probably formally write it down. But, um, yeah, so I have a little goal. I, there's a few more I want to want to hit up. Maybe I'll try my first scooter ride and go to a couple. And, um, yeah, I think it'll be a fun summer goal. Yeah, and you're like, and you're just gonna try any breakfast sandwiches in Edmonton, right? Like, oh yes, yeah. It could be OEB, which is isn't maybe as local, but you know, anywhere that serves it, you're gonna give it a try. Absolutely. Um, I also know that you are a volunteer for the Edmonton Valley Zoo. Hmm. Yeah, I just started. I got on their board a couple months ago, so that's uh, a new and exciting thing for me. Yes, and and are you sponsoring an animal there? I think I have to. Now. Yeah, no, I'm looking okay. forward to it. <laughs> any suggestions on type, but no, they have an adopt an animal program. So I, I, I want to get in on that. Which, which animal you want to sponsor? <laughs> I'm like a red panda. No, I don't know. <laughs> oh, do we have a red panda? Do we have a red panda at the zoo? You should sponsor that for sure. Yeah. There's very cute otters as well. No, I don't know if those are sponsorable, but I got to I got to check the log. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we were also talking a bit earlier about, um, you know, summer travels and I, mm-hmm. and you told me that you're a huge uh, Formula One racing fan. Is that correct? I am. Yeah. Yeah. F1 and breakfast and I'm in a F1 fantasy league and I think I'm running number two. I got to try and beat out my cousin here on this next raid. There's lots of races coming up. Lots to do. Lots to do. Walk me through what an F1 fantasy league is like. How, do you pick drivers at the start of the year that go, or how do you? How does this work? You do get to change them before a race if you'd like, but you get to put in three teams, and uh, so you choose uh, a few drivers, and then you also choose two constructors. So I, I think my winning team right now is Red Bull and Aston Martin. So um, yeah, you can you can make your pre-race adjustments as needed, and uh, I'm very bad at remembering to do that, but. Uh, but it is possible. How did you get into F1? Good question. I don't know. We did start going to, there's a racetrack in Vernon Speedway when I was really young. And then my first times in Edmonton were actually at the Edmonton Indy. So we'd come for that every year. And then, uh, yeah, I think it just grew from that. So 
So you've, you've been watching it for a long time, like back in the like Michael Schumacher days and everything. Oh like gosh, you were- no, I wish I could say so. No, no, no. I would say them when I became an avid fan only gosh, four, four years ago or so. So that's when I really, really got into it. Okay. And the, like the fantasy, have you ever won your fantasy? This, this sounds like it's not your no, first year. No, last year I lost. It was very sad because I think there's not so many people in our league. But um, uh, but yeah, this year I'm hoping hoping for a different result. And then cash prize. And does the loser have to do anything like some of those fantasy no, football? I or know. Anything I saw that. No, just, just honor and bragging rights, the standards. Yeah. We, um, this is giving me ideas, though. We've got to, we've got to, got to make this a bit more um, up the ante a bit. Right. Yeah. Well, that I mean, this this is fascinating. I didn't even know my my wife and I watched that Drive to Survive on Netflix, and obviously got into F one a little bit. I haven't watched any races or anything yet, but um, like live races, anyways. But uh, it seems to be in, not an emerging sport because it's already really popular. But if there's fantasy leagues built around this already, like it's way more popular than I thought it was. So, um, oh yeah, huge in Europe, and I think Drive to Survive just made it opened up North America in a huge way. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Kristen, it was such a pleasure talking to you. Uh, we always ask our guests a call to action bef- before we uh, sign off on the episode. And what is your call to action for our listeners? My call to action would be consider a life cycle analysis for your next building. Um, even if you just consider your structural elements, your concrete, steel, wood, whatever, um, start making just a little bit consideration there. I think it would be um, a great start. Yeah, that's my call. Thank you so much. Um, I really, really enjoyed talking with you. I always, I, I always really enjoy talking with you and kind of picking your brain about this topic. So it's been great having you on the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having having me. It's been great. My first podcast. Nice. Thanks, Kristen. Wow. I, um, I'm not sure about you. I know, you know, Kristen from before, but I kind of feel like a moron talking to her. Like she is very intelligent about everything she knows there. How did you feel? Uh, same boat, Ryan. I thought that there were a lot of really, there were a lot of terms there that I had no idea what it meant. (laughs) And there was a lot of, there was this whole a realm of sustainability and this, the, the world of like the tools and what kind of um, instruments you use and what they're using to, as checklists, that was all very, very new to me. So I learned a lot. Yeah. Likewise. It was, I found it hard to ask her questions, to be honest, because it was uh, some, some stuff was so far over my head. She did a really good job of explaining it though, which is uh, fascinating. She did. Uh, I did promise that I was going to fact check one thing that she said though. So she did. Uh, she wasn't sure if passive house standard included carbon analysis. So I looked into that um, passive house Canada per their website. Um, they don't actually require a life cycle analysis or any kind of carbon analysis, either operational or embodied um, to be certified for Passive House, so it makes it a little bit simpler of a certification program. But they do have a program, like a software called PH Ribbon, which they encourage people to use. So um, that tool looks at kind of the entire uh, life cycle um, from cradle to grave of all your materials and your buildings and everything. So it's a pretty handy tool um, from what I understand. But yeah, it's not required for Passive House. So there's one thing that I know that, uh, that Kristen didn't know. But other than that, she's got me beat everywhere. Um, she mentioned a guy named Anthony Pack, who is like a, a leader in life cycle analysis. You ever heard of him? I haven't. Is he Canadian? 
he is Canadian. Yes. Uh, I don't know where he's from, but I look, yeah, I know we're, we're doing pretty well here. So he is Canadian. Um, I think he's based out of BC, out of Vancouver, um, but he and he's a professional engineer. But he did his uh, master in industrial ecology from a, a university in Norway. And I know for a fact that I'm not even smart enough to get into universities to even like sweep the floors or anything in Norway. So I think that tells you everything you need to know about that. But yeah, he is so far so smarty. Yeah, really intelligent and a leader. So he presents. He's done over 100 presentations in the last three years at industry and. Uh, corporate events. So he's um, actually, he did one for Rake. So the Royal Architectural Institute of Canada. I'm sure you saw that one. Uh, I did not. <laughs> guilty as. <laughs> yeah. Guilty on the spot, Ryan. Didn't yeah. see that one. <laughs> Gotta do that. Yeah, no. So he's, he's presented at like Buildex in front of Rake, a bunch of different organizations whose acronyms I don't even know about. But um, from everything that I'm seeing here, the guy is my age and has achieved so much in his career already that now he's in his late 30s presenting and he's like the leader of uh, life cycle analysis for buildings in, uh, in Canada. But yeah, Canadian. Happy to, happy to hear that. But yeah, anyways, those are the two things that I wanted to pull out of the, the conversation to make myself feel better. But uh, what what did you take from the conversation? Actually, I'm really I'm I uh, just going back to Anthony Pack. I mean, I'm so excited that there are ecologists and uh, biologists, all these um, ecologists, biologists, all these scientists that actually have that uh, that that can offer perspective and want to be involved in building sciences because that's I think that's definitely the future. I don't think it's just. Um, it's not just simply engineers or architects that govern those type uh, that govern how our built environment is. I really, so it's really exciting to see that those type of people with that type of education have taken interest because I actually think they can offer so much, so much more and a lot of insight. Agreed. A lot of insight to how we build. It's, it's funny, actually, the, uh, our guests that we're going to have in a couple episodes from now, I just actually talked to them today and they, um, built a passive house, uh, development here in Alberta. And they were say they were telling me that they actually struggled to find consultants. Like they wanted, they wanted to be passive house certified, but they struggled to find the right people locally, especially that, um, that had that expertise, I guess. So you're obviously one of them, but, uh, it's nice to have people like Anthony Pack, um, and and kind of promoting it and hopefully leading to more people that are kind of specialized in this industry that it kind of takes off. It, it is hard, Ryan. I mean, I am doing a passive house. I'm doing passive house course, but it's one of those things where uh, you have to practice it in order to <laughs> get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> because it's it's a totally different world. Um, I know. I know she. I know Kristen talked a bit about um, passive house standards, like. You know, I was so caught up in trying to figure out how to use the PHPP Excel tool that the certifications and the ratings, like they, they kind of bypass you because you're just trying to figure out the numbers first. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, I can't wait till I actually get to be on one and then I'll practice more and more and then I'll have more of a say. <laughs> and exactly. And then it'll trickle downhill. You'll be able to teach other people and so on and so forth. Yeah. So you're, you're, on, the, you're on the right track already. I'm on the track. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was something that Kristen real that that she did want to do in Edmonton, which was to find a really good breakfast sandwich place. Um, I can't recall how much she how many she did try, but I think there, yeah, she I think she tried quite a bit. But what 
to you makes a really good breakfast sandwich? It's a good question. I eat a lot of breakfast sandwiches. I think uh, it's easy for myself to make one in the morning. And then um, my daughter, like all the components of the breakfast sandwich, I can like deconstruct it and my daughter can muck through them kind of individually. But uh, tomato or no tomato on a breakfast sandwich? Oh, always tomato. Always tomato. See, I'm, I don't like tomato. I, I like don't I don't tomatoes. put any fruits. Don't put vegetables on my on my breakfast sandwich. I'm I'm a little bit, uh, uh, wow. Like I want to say like the McDonald's breakfast sandwich, like that vibe, like the the meat, the egg, and the toasted bread with a little bit of butter on there. That's all I need. A little dollop of ketchup. That's literally uh, my perfect breakfast sandwich. What about you? Well, that's classic. Um, I'm t- I'm terrible. I'm a cheater when maybe it comes to this definition because would. Would something like a Cubano sandwich be considered a breakfast sandwich (laughs) when there's actually meat and there's no egg, but you know, there's a really good hot sauce and great flavor. It's on a really good bun or my borderlining lunch right now. Yeah. You're you're in the, you're in the brunch realm. Yeah. You're in the brunch realm, but I, I think, I think it can count. I think it can definitely count. I think I would crush a Cubano for breakfast. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't know if it has if it has to have egg in it. Does it have to have egg in it to make it a breakfast sandwich? Mm, ah, that's a good question. If it doesn't have the egg, because eggs are like a traditional breakfast food, what what makes it a breakfast sandwich? I, that, that's a good question. That's a really good question, actually. What do you think? Right. I no eggs. Uh, well, I no, I love eggs. Yeah, <laughs> I love eggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would. I, it would have to be an egg maybe to make it breakfast. So maybe if there was egg on top of the Cubano sandwich, I can call it a breakfast sandwich. She mentioned, <laughs> she mentioned uh, the sandwich from Pharaoh, the Greek. You ever had it? Yes. Yeah, Delicious. me too. I, there, I live close to a Pharaoh, the one in Garneau. Um, so a lot of weekends I will walk there and get one. So I'm happy that she mentioned that. But I'm, we, we should have her on in the future to follow up on all her important work, but also to ask her where, this, where her favorite breakfast sandwich is. Um, Absolutely. She also is a, uh, I like that we're focusing on her like personal life here, but her useless trivia facts, um, she's an expert at. She, I don't think she went through it very much. I want you to out her a little bit. What kind of trivia do you know that she knows about? Oh, man. I can't out her on this. I don't. Oh, that's fair. You're a good friend. <laughs> well, in that case, I got to ask you what kind of trivia facts like everybody has some useless trivia facts that they know like way yeah. too much about. And I want to know what yours is. Yeah. Anything with like film or pop culture. That makes sense. <laughs> like my husband, I probably have lost touch with it recently, but pop culture during when I was in high school and university, early university days, like the two thousands. Oh yeah. I feel like that was when I really got into it. But yes, Brian, I am going to a Buffy the Vampire Slayer trivia oh night my God. tonight. Oh my god! At Asymmetrical Brewery. <laughs> By the time this airs, that will have long passed. But wow, <laughs> that sounds incredible. That's very niche. So yes. you're going because you know everything about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Probably not the comic books, but um, I think I've wa- I have watched the series three times. <laughs> season one to season seven. Okay. Um, I, I think I caught everything, but we will see. Like there, there are some pretty hardcore fans. I actually really wanted to go with my uncle because he was the one that introduced me to Buffy. But nice. uh, 
Yeah, but he's a, he's a bit feeling under the weather today. Otherwise, we oh, him, that's but... too bad. Oh, that's amazing. First of all, I have a couple follow up <laughs> questions. First of all, um, I didn't know there was comic books. This is so it wasn't it wasn't just a TV show born out of nothing. By it was Joss Whedon that did the TV show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, um, oh, maybe here's where's my useless. <laughs> this is where my space uh, this is where the space of my useless knowledge comes in. <laughs> yeah, I know Joss Whedon did it and he wrote Firefly. I don't know if everyone has ever seen Firefly, cult but classic. that was such cult classic. That one yeah. was so good. And uh sucks that they didn't continue it. Um but yeah, no, there was like a movie about it, and I think he wanted to make like a kick-ass strong a strong female lead because I think all the horror shows and the thrillers were they were having the girl being killed off and all of them. And he wanted one where she was sort of the, the female lead and then ending up, uh, that's where, um, that's where the series went, but it went for a long time. Yeah. Seven years. And there was a spinoff, which was angel, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. one of the vampires in Buffy. <laughs> I, I never watched that. Did Buffy, did Buffy make a reappearance in that show? They did. There were crossovers. She was an angel, and Angel also came back into um, Buffy's world for a bit. Okay. So their timelines were very similar. They had like similar bad guys they were fighting. So they were both really good series. I really Amazing. liked it. <laughs> yeah. I hope you do well tonight. It sounds like you know your stuff. So. Yeah, I hope so. But I don't know what the prize is. I just wanted to. I just wanted to see who was, uh, I wanted to see who knew more than I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll report back on a future episode for sure. Um, my, my useless trivia fact, like I know almost everything about um, the Edmonton Oilers specifically, which is, you know, kind of weird to say we live in Edmonton. So a lot of people can probably say that, but um yeah, I know everything about it. I know every player they ever drafted. I know their backstory. I've read a lot of books about the others. I know a lot about hockey trivia. I have a collection of, I'm pointing in the direction of where they are hanging, but you can't see that. Uh, I have like a collection of about 30 jerseys. I was a collector of hockey jerseys previously, and now I just, uh, I have like 11 or 12 of them that are just Oilers jerseys. So I'm a big dorky hockey guy. I know almost everything about hockey. My dad used to say if I spent as much time like reading the newspaper and watching games and doing everything about the others as I did on my like schoolwork, uh, I would probably be as smart as Anthony Pack or Kristen. So um, <laughs> yeah, I really missed that opportunity, but that's what my brain is filled, is filled with. So uh, hockey trivia nights, invite me. Ooh. So do you, so Ryan, do you have, um, do you have your jerseys framed or are they hanging in like a closet and they're raised off the face? Great question. I could spend hours on this. I uh, there. I have a lot of them, so I'm trying to get all of them signed. So uh, seven out of the eleven are signed right now, um, and then I, my brother and I have built one frame for one of them, but it's not currently hanging anywhere. So it's in a frame on the floor. Um, but uh, the goal is eventually all of them will be signed, and then all of them will be hanging. Yeah. And then my other question is: Do you have? Um, is it Edmonton? only hockey trivia or is it hockey trivia the whole thing i know a lot about the whole thing yeah exactly yeah so i know i know almost everything about the oilers dating back to the wha before i was even born but uh it's mostly specific to the oilers i don't uh i don't know as much i know a lot about hockey but not as much as i do about the Oilers. it's Oilers specific stuff 
Well, if the brewery ever has hockey trivia night, I will let you know. Thank you. Bring and me. the prizes. Yes. Bring me. I don't care what the prizes are. I'll be there regardless. Just if, if somebody just wants to ask me random questions, I'll just answer questions. It doesn't have to be a formal night. Ooh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So for this episode, we have a shout out to uh, Megan Tam. Um, Megan has actually been a huge, um, she played a huge part of the communications team at For Idea. And we really, really like, yeah, we really, really appreciated her organization and how on top of things she was. And yeah, it was great having her around. So shout out to Megan and always thanks for listening to the podcast. And until next time, keep exploring and stay curious in Edmonton. Mm-hmm.